Good afternoon, Spark. I hope you guys are well sitting at home on your couch, snuggled up next to each other, or watching your little one run across this room and looking at the Zoom feed. <laughs> like many of you, over the last couple of months, I've had to adjust to the challenges of sheltering in place. My personal experience with the pandemic actually began in Jamestown, North Dakota. As some of you may or may not know, my wife and I are assistant coaches of the women's wrestling team at Menlo College. We were in Jamestown, North Dakota when the pandemic was declared and didn't think much of it until we got an email the next day saying that the tournament was canceled. There was a series of meetings. We tried to go back immediately that evening and then our priority just becomes we need to get back to the Bay Area only to realize that was just the beginning. Immediately our lives were disrupted and we had to learn how to do things like work from home. And for me that was particularly challenging because I work at a local high school and much of my interactions with students um, are interpersonal and make me really effective at my job. It was all very surreal. Now, immediately I had to learn how to take care of myself. And one of the first things I did was I got off Facebook. It's not that Facebook is bad within itself. Really don't kind of make sense at the current moment. For a long time, I kept myself on Instagram because I was trying to keep track of my little brother as a primary form of communication. But when I realized that he wasn't on Instagram, I shortly got off Instagram as well. I actually began to look at a lot of this as a blessing uh, in the pandemic. Instead of all the things that, uh, instead of all the things that you kind of miss and grieve, I realized that I'm very fortunate to share a house with uh, people I go to church with, Pastor Mark and St Pastor uh, Stacy Revelo, and it's really neat having community around with you as you kind of ride out a pandemic. Then I realized Spark Church broadcasts the messages on Skype and YouTube, and I've even gotten a kick out of doing the motion song every week. And there's been other things as well, too. Every uh, week after Spark, I get to have a phone or a Zoom call with my brothers and, and dad. My dad lives in Texas, but it's just like every week, my brothers and I and stepmom and uh, we all get together and uh, we just have a conversation. I've done things over Zoom like celebrate my paternal grandmother's 88th birthday with relatives from as far away as Canada. To be real honest, there's something in me that's learned to enjoy this slow pace of not having to be somewhere or go somewhere all the time. It's really a blessing. And at least for myself, this makes me really consider what are some of the things that are the most important in life? like talking to friends and families, some of whom I've not talked to in over 10 years. I know the situation is not all rosy. One of the things that uh, Pastor Danielle pointed out on one of our Zoom calls is that for many of us, we've been in community for well over 10, 15 years. I can remember when Daniel Chan was a third grader in the uh, children's ministry room or I remember when his sister walked into the junior high room for the first time 
And now Daniel is uh, in his fifth year at Stanford uh, on the way to completing a master's. And his sister is a junior at Yale who's a spiritual beast herself. I don't know whether it was because I was on not on social media or just settling into the fact that the pandemic is just going to be longer than I thought, but I was actually feeling okay and coming to learn to enjoy this time because deep down I know as states as the talk of states started to reopen and you know the economic impact talk has continued to talk, uh, ramp up, I know that we're never going to get a time like this back. And then the first week of May hit. And as many of you already know, there was a videotape that was released that showed the last moments of the life of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. This death hit home to me because during the pandemic, I've actually had to get up early in the morning and run every day as a part of my regular workout routine. Later on that week, I learned about the death of Breonna Taylor, who herself was a first responder who was killed, unfortunately, by police under some very troubling circumstances uh, with the communication at the local law enforcement agency. Then this week, I saw the video of Amy Cooper's reaction of fear which led her to weaponize her privilege against Chris Cooper over a simple argument in the park. I'm not going to lie. I actually thought that the whole situation was kind of funny, only to be compounded by the video, which I couldn't fully watch, and the death of Greg Floyd in Minnesota. I was reminded that this month, that in all my personal pleas, that I'm still a black man in America, and that these situations hit me a little bit differently. And all of this happened to culminate in the week that let that happened that I happened to sign up to give the message at Spark. See, I was really excited to look at Ephesians 4, 17, 5 through 2, and uh, kind of poke fun at Christian culture. And trying to live differently from the world around us and in this kind of separate Christian culture. I think if you've been around church long enough, we've witnessed this evangelical Christian copy of the world around us. You totally understand that and know what I'm talking about. There are Christian clothing lines, Christian movies, Christian workout facilities. Somehow Christian culture got attached to the fast food restaurants. Now, in all fairness, though. I do believe that the quality of this food and the experience at these chains leads me to believe that Jesus is clearly involved. So let's take a look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of the heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self what belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The way the letter of Ephesians is written, it's written in this beautiful Jewish poetic style and then all of a sudden it gets incredibly practical to this group of Gentile, uh, to Gentile believers who live in Ephesus. The letter writer is really familiar with his audience and how who to whom he's communicating. The writer knows these Gentiles struggle. He knows exactly what they're like and totally understands their culture. The writer knows the community's life and perspectives. The writer understands their struggles and knows what it's like to be followers of Jesus as Gentiles who live in an affluent, relatively stable culture underneath the Roman Empire. This writer knows his audience so well that I bet you if this writer was even an outsider to the community and had friends in the community, that this writer would never go on a radio show aimed at the Ephesians and say something out of pocket. <laughs> the writer instructs them that they should live differently as a church in comparison with the culture around them. And that there's nothing in this that they said they should set up a separate culture. How they treat each other and how they should engage the culture around them seems to be the emphasis of, of the writer's instructions. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for a favorite offering to sacrifice to God and sacrifice to God. In a very practical sense, I would kind of love to see American churches live this out instead of sometimes fighting for our right to meet in church buildings during a public health crisis. Wouldn't it be awesome for some churches that are really well resourced and even politically connected to help churches, uh, smaller churches in affected areas? For example, the story of Lighthouse Fellowship in Virginia, which has now become a political lightning rod, where the pastor met on Palm Sunday and uh, was unfortunately arrested. And this has become political 
somehow this interaction has now become a political moment. But it's probably just a pastor who understood his community in a rural beach town in Virginia that is plagued by drug addiction. And he just probably knew he had to connect with those who were there. Wouldn't it have been awesome it, because his church didn't have access to the internet for larger churches to come around and give the church uh, uh, access to the internet by devices for some of the members and, and congregants so that they could meet remotely on but you know out of care to help this particular pastor wouldn't it be awesome if some churches that are larger in other areas could look into places like Albany, Georgia, where even though the population is small, that they've been disproportionately hit by uh, COVID-19 and where churches are, are not meeting because they've had multiple members and family uh, members die uh, of COVID-19. Wouldn't it be cool if as one body we could figure out how to help that community or those communities all around our country instead of writing letters to our government officials about our rights during a public health crisis? It could all come off as very insensitive and disingenuous for those of us who uh, may look at the church a little circumspectly but it's not really church what we're looking at we're actually examining church culture and here at spark we've had philip fulmer come in and and talk to us about the history of evangelicalism and the fact that our political climate has us in an election year and it just seems like the same routine is happening where christians or a particular type of christian has picked their candidate and uh here we go again. And on top of that, we have the systematic challenge of an African-American man being killed by the police and the social unrest that comes with that. Or you have a situation where someone weaponizes their privilege and actually says they're going to use the term a black man is trying to harm me and my dog all to be preceded by uh, an act of vigilantism for a man just jogging because they confused him I have to be very honest here it's moments like these that make it very difficult to be a Christian and follow Jesus because if I go back to the very text we just read it says in my anger do not sin in our anger don't sin see the writer of the text doesn't tell the Ephesians not to get angry it says in their anger don't sin but I sometimes wonder what happens when you look at the place that's around you and you really really love being in the country and you like being in America but it just doesn't seem that sometimes America or the church doesn't tend to respect your humanity 
sometimes it's really challenging as someone who follows Jesus to see a text like this because immediately I think about that text by James Baldwin where it says to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. And it's saying that that writer almost that quote coupled with in your anger, don't don't sin runs up against uh, each other. And there is this tension. And yet the text goes further and tells me to be an imitator of God in verses five, one through two and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering, as a sacrifice to God. And which precedes that the particular verse, forgiving one another as Christ and God forgave you. And uh, that's oftentimes really hard when it says be an imitator of God, because if I understand the text and the way of Jesus, it's always pushing forward. But if I'm honest, I don't want to imitate God. I don't want to imitate the Messiah who said, forgive them for they know not what they do. If I'm really, really honest, I don't like this, but this is a spiritual practice that I have that helps me keep my own sanity. And maybe it helps solve the rage. But a practice I've had for a very long time in these situations is I oftentimes pray for the offending parties in the situation. I pray because I know that their lives are forever changed, even with the loss of life. I know that the officer who was arrested for the killing of George Floyd, his life is forever changed because of taking George Floyd's, George Floyd's life and his family is deeply affected, along with the other officers. The city of Minnesota is is going to be reeling and dealing with this for a long time. I, I pray for the uh, woman in the park, Amy Cooper, because of the, the impact of the backlash she's received. And I pray for the killers of uh, I pray for the killers of Breonna Taylor and um, Ahmaud Aubrey, not because I want them to have some type of of good time or anything like that. But if I'm following the text correctly and it says be imitators of God and forgive, I don't necessarily know what that means, but I do know that by praying for it, it brings something else that's beyond myself that allows me to not stay in a constant rage. It doesn't negate that deep down want for justice. It doesn't negate the fact that each time this happens, I got to find some people to talk to and process this. It doesn't negate and take away that deep down feeling of wanting to just, like Marvin Gaye said, make you want to holler, throw up in your hands, uh, throw up in your hands. But I do know that by praying for both 
sides of the situation, it offers some type of humanity and empathy that's there. But I have to be real. It gets harder and harder every time. It feels a little heavier sometimes because it feels like the body of Christ in America seems more preoccupied with getting a political candidate in power than actually checking in on the lives of the fellow image bearers of God. It feels like there are aspects of the church in this country that have accepted a falsehood instead of speaking the truth with their neighbor because we are members of one another. Then I become thankful to God that my own community here at Spark tries as best they can to embody the way of Jesus. And that even within this body, that there are members who don't get so upset that they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I draw comfort in knowing that there is a movement of Christians all across this country who will lay down their lives for justice, for peace, and who really want to live out the way of Jesus. I personally get a sense of hope because I know so many believers who could care less about a political candidate and really do care about this great thing called the body of Christ. I know it's tough, I know it's hard, but I'm so thankful to be a part of that community.